Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric Michael Teitelman. Join me as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. In this episode, we will discover whether the kingdom of God is a present or future one, and whether we will see a partial fulfillment of God's kingdom even before Jesus returns. Jesus ministered throughout all Judea, Samaria, and Galilee, saying in Matthew chapter 3, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But was he inferring that the kingdom of God had arrived? and that we are now living in it? Well, not exactly. Dispensational theologians believe in a progression of God's revelation of himself and his kingdom to the creation, and they define four phases of God's unfolding story for humanity, creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. While dispensationalism provides a relatively straightforward narrative, it fails to accurately portray the more complex nuances of God's individually directed divine providence of the Creator's constant and ongoing contact with His created beings. So we need to understand that the kingdom of God is both inwardly personal and outwardly communal. It is inwardly in terms of our personal salvation, and outwardly as Christ's church, ecclesia, and the family of God. We also need to recognize that God's redemptive and restorative plans for His kingdom are intricately woven through time. Zechariah prayed in Luke chapter 1, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, we read, You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Unquestionably, we are living in God's dispensation of redemption, salvation. But we also read in Acts chapter 3, it says that he may send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. So the question is, when does God's times of restoration begin? And we're going to explore both classical and progressive dispensational theology to answer this question. Some theologians view God's redemption and restoration as concurrent, while others feel they are successive. Now, I'm not a strong advocate for dispensationalism, as I will point out in this teaching, but using dispensationalism as a theological exegesis will help us explore God's times of restoration for his kingdom. There's little argument in Orthodox Christianity that God created a perfect heaven and earth. The pinnacle of his creation was Adam and Eve, who he formed in his image. Christians believe that Adam and Eve disobeyed God causing humanity to fall from the Garden of Eden into a world filled with sin and death. Christians believe that in the fullness, the dispensation of time, Christ came born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life, 
and willingly gave his life on the cross so that all who receive him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we believe that Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father and that Christ is physically returning to establish his eternal kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Physically returning means that you would be able to take a photograph of Jesus when he comes back. We read in Acts chapter 1, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in the like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Theologians differ about the timing of Christ's return, but their arguments are about when, not if. So while understanding these differences is essential, and only one of these opinions is biblically accurate, none is considered heretical. We all believe that Christ is returning. John Nelson Darby, 1800-1882, an Anglo-Irish Bible teacher, derived a new premillennial theology called dispensationalism. It's also called classical dispensationalism. Now, later classical dispensationalism branched into ultra-dispensationalism in the 1800s, revived dispensationalism in the 1950s, and lastly, progressive dispensationalism in the 1980s. In this study, we will use classical dispensationalism held by Schofield and Schaefer, and we will touch on progressive dispensationalism held by Bach and Blazing. While all dispensational theologies address the human condition of sin and our need for Christ's redemption, classical dispensationalism is expressly God-centered, not man-centered. Its doxological focus sees the ultimate purpose of redemption and restoration as God bringing glory to himself. Just as the Lord spoke to Israel in Isaiah chapter 48, For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. For how should my name be profaned? And I will not give my glory to another. Not even Israel, God's covenant people, and certainly not the Gentiles who were outside of God's covenant promises, were deserving of God's unmerited grace. Yet this is precisely what we have all received from the Lord. And for this reason, Paul declared in Romans chapter 1, I also am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. In Galatians 3 he said, For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for we are all one and we are equal in Christ Jesus. Classical dispensationalism, also called futurism, holds to a literal interpretation of Scripture, dividing history into ages or dispensations, and teaching that Christ's kingdom will not be established here on earth until he returns, which is the dispensation of restoration. Jesus said in Matthew 26, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. In Revelation chapter 11, we read, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Classical dispensationalism also holds to a literal premillennial view and 1,000-year reign of Christ before the new heaven and earth. In Revelation 20, we read, 
Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Some scholars argue that this one verse in the Bible is insufficient by itself to justify a literal 1,000-year kingdom. And yet, not surprisingly, even in Jewish thought, the sages in the Talmud teach that the creation will exist for 6,000 years before the universal Sabbath and 1,000-year Messianic era. The rabbis label the first 2,000 years as the hidden years, beginning at creation and lasting until Abraham. The following 2,000 years of revelation, they say, include the patriarchs, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, and the two temples in Jerusalem. And the final 2,000 years they consider as preparation of the Jewish people for the redemption of the Messiah, balanced between divine concealment and revelation. So it's not coincidental that Yeshua said in Luke 19, If you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And Paul said in Romans 11 that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. These two verses in Luke and Romans are critical as they point to a dispensation of time when Israel would remain blind to her Messiah. And so, in returning to our opening question, if Yeshua preached that the kingdom of God was at hand, did he also imply that the restoration of Israel, which is God's kingdom, had also already begun? Or would Israel's restoration and hence the restoration of God's kingdom not occur until he returned? Well, let's see what scripture says. Debuting in the 1990s from evangelical scholars Craig Blazing and Daryl Bach, a reinterpreted form of dispensationalism called progressive dispensationalism emerged, and it sought to explain an already-not-yet and both-end eschatology regarding the timing of God's kingdom. It also teaches that the Abrahamic, Davidic, and the New Covenants are progressively fulfilled today and wholly fulfilled in the Millennial Kingdom. So, therefore, the theology includes a present fulfillment of God's covenants made with historic Israel within the church. But this creates a scriptural problem. If the fulfillment of these covenants made with historical Israel is a present condition within the church, then we should expect to see the restoration of Israel and hence God's kingdom even before Christ returns. But this is not what the Bible says. We read in Isaiah chapter 10, for though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness. While Paul did say in Romans 11 that all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, it's evident that he was speaking of the time of Jesus' return. He affirms that the Messiah will deliver the entire remnant of Israel who survives the Great Tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. As we read in Jeremiah chapter 30, Alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. 
These scriptures in Romans and Jeremiah support a classical premillennial dispensational view of Israel's restoration. In other words, Israel will remain blind until they see Jesus coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And only then will they look up to the one who they have pierced, implying that they crucified him, and then they will repent. On the other hand, some scholars see the rebirth of Israel in 1948 and the recapturing of the Temple Mount in 1967 as evidence of biblical fulfillment and a partial restoration of God's kingdom. But more than 60% of Israel's population today is secular, with only about one-third of 1% of the people even believing that Jesus is the Messiah. And Israel is far from the theocracy that God established through the Mosaic Covenant and certainly nowhere close to the promised Davidic dynasty. Instead, Israel is a socialist democracy. Progressive dispensationalism is problematic because it blurs the lines between the church and Israel. Now, it does correctly recognize the one new man in Ephesians chapter 2 as a continuation of believing Israelites in the Old Testament along with Jewish and Gentile Christians as one people of God. But it fails to recognize that Gentiles and Israelites are distinct people groups, each with their unique callings and biblical promises. God's covenants were made with historic Israel. As Paul said in Romans 9, My brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the services of God, and the promises. And so Gentile participation in the new covenant is only a present and partial assurance of the future promises of God's kingdom the full realization of which cannot occur until all Israel repents and the Lord forgives her sins and heals her land, which is Israel's final and complete redemption and restoration, which is why we read in Deuteronomy 32, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. Progressive dispensationalism cannot fully align with Scripture unless viewed through a different lens, one that blurs the lines between the church and Israel, and worse, can lead to a false belief that the church has somehow replaced Israel. If restoration of the kingdom is not predicated on the repentance of Israel, then progressive dispensationalism does not work in that the kingdom is now being restored through the church, which replaces Israel as the new Israel. And this belief is called supersessionism or replacement theology. Supersessionism is embraced by amillennial, postmillennial, and preterist theologies. And more recently, it is subtly appearing in contemporary beliefs such as progressive dispensationalism. Dr. Keith Matheson, professor of systematic theology at Reformation Bible College, agrees with the premise in saying, progressive dispensationalists have moved closer to Reformed theology on a number of doctrines. They now acknowledge that the kingdom has been inaugurated and there is a present as well as a future aspect of the kingdom. Postmillennial and preterist theologies are also rooted in amillennialism and supersessionism. Amillennial theology emerged from the influential writings of St. Augustine of Hippo. 
Augustine shaped the practice of biblical exegesis, laying the foundation for the Roman Catholicism and modern Christian thought. Extensively reading Platonic texts to understand their doctrine, Augustine redefined Christianity as a rival and replacement for these ancient Greek philosophers. In his book, City of God, a massive volume of work that took Augustine about 12 years to complete, he redefines his understanding of the 1,000-year millennial kingdom of Christ. He had previously viewed the millennium as a literal future 1,000 years, but changed his beliefs, incorrectly presuming the millennium began at the first advent of Christ. Augustine also incorrectly predicted that the binding of Satan would be complete by the year 650 AD and that Christ would return at that time, the second advent. Augustine believed that the church saints presently reign with Christ on earth in an inferior way. And one day in the future, in the fullness of God's coming kingdom, those who have been blessed by God the Father will reign in a superior way to this present age. Augustine's critical writing, his polemic against Donatism, held a distinct role in creating the governing relationship between the church and state, and he argued for a universal church against local particularism, which is independent self-governing states. Now, Donatism was the primary form of Christianity in Africa, which is where Augustine spent most of his life. The outcome of this polemic was the formation and rise to power of the Roman Catholic Church and its subservient relationship with the Roman Empire. The hierarchy of this newly restructured church not only reflected the organization of the Roman Empire, but its ecclesiastical councils also functioned like parliaments that embodied its philosophical wisdom and civil laws. Augustinian amillennialism became the prevailing doctrine of the Roman Church, and after the Reformation and for almost 1,500 years, amillennialism remained the dominant theology for most Christians in the West. Martin Luther, likewise, rejected the future millennial kingdom and interpreted Revelation chapter 20 as a description of the historical church rather than the end of history. Amillennialism regained prominence in the West after World War II. So if the church is the new Israel, then all the covenant promises made with historic Israel are presently being fulfilled through the church. The church is now God's vessel to establish his inwardly personal kingdom, salvation, and his outwardly communal kingdom, his ecclesia, on earth as it is in heaven. In arguing for a universal church here on earth as in heaven, Augustine institutionalized the Roman Catholic Church with its false amillennial and supersessionist theologies. And unfortunately, the Reformers did not abandon these theologies. And with its revival in the 1950s, amillennialism became the driving force behind the emergence of realized eschatology, supporting liberal theologies and ideologies, including Nicholas Wright's Kingdom Now Theology, which is a branch of dominionism. Dominionism was central to Christian Reconstructionism in the 1960s, the rise of Christian nationalism in the 1970s, and the establishment of the Christian coalition in the 1980s. Amillennialism and its underlying supersessionist foundation, replacement theology, 
have been the most damaging theologies to infiltrate the church. While amillennialism does not deny Christ, it does pervert his kingdom. Instead of retaining the centrality of Christ's work in bringing unsaved Israel to repentance and subsequently his second advent, the church has partly or entirely spiritualized God's covenant promises for Israel and has nullified their purpose in the restoration of Christ's kingdom. Additionally, the church has built an earthly empire apart from God's covenant people, and worse, the church became an instrument of Satan for the persecution and indiscriminate murder of the Jewish people in the name of Christ. Augustine amillennialism has led to many other unbiblical theologies, including postmillennialism, preterism, inaugurated eschatology, and more. And when incorporated with replacement theology, they all pervert God's kingdom by nullifying his covenant promises for Israel. Dr. Matthew Allen said the eschatological shift in the ancient church from premillennialism to amillennialism began when the church lost its understanding of Israel as a uniquely chosen people of God with specific promises of God yet to be fulfilled. The restoration of Israel and thus the restoration of God's kingdom is predicated on the return of the Jewish people to the land that God promised to Abraham. And these promises cannot presently be fulfilled through the church. Yeshua's first advent and ministry were exclusively focused on Israel's repentance. He said in Matthew 15, I was not sent except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And in Mark chapter 1, we read, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So we surmise that the rebirth of Israel in 1948 was for this purpose, to bring the Jewish people back to their land and after that, to bring them to repentance. And this is where a rigid application of classical dispensationalism unravels because we perceive that God, to a degree, is starting to redeem and restore Israel and his kingdom even before the second advent. This is also where progressive dispensationalism, if not tainted by amillennial or supersessionist theologies, brings a contemporary perspective and understanding of biblical prophecy that John Darby could not have foreseen. We read in Isaiah chapter 2, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The mountain of the Lord's house is unquestionably a reference to his kingdom. And he says that his kingdom will be established in the latter days in Jerusalem. So is the Lord speaking of a time leading up to his return? Or is he referring to a period of latter days that will be fulfilled after he returns? Well, the answer depends on whether we hold to a classical or progressive dispensational view. Classical dispensationalism holds to God's covenant promises for Israel, but only realizes those promises to be fulfilled when Jesus returns. And nothing suggests any repentance or restoration of Israel before that. 
And yet we saw the rebirth of Israel in 1948, the recapturing of Jerusalem in 1967, and an explosion of Jews coming to faith in Jesus in the 1960s and 70s. Paul said in Romans 11, Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And so could it be that we will see another explosive revival coming to the Jewish people, and subsequently to the Gentile nations before Jesus returns, even before the rapture? Well, the Lord only knows. On the other hand, progressive dispensationalism revises the core tenets of dispensationalism and sees at least a partial fulfillment of God's covenant promises for Israel through the church. And while it sees Israel and the church as uniquely different, it also suggests that the church, to a degree, supplants Israel. In other words, it teaches that Israel both symbolizes the church, and at the same time, it also sees Israel as distinct from the church. And unfortunately, this view is not entirely clear. Paul said that the present believing remnant of Israel exemplifies the future, full inclusion of unsaved Israel, and the Gentiles are grafted into Israel through the spiritual promises given to Abraham. In Romans 11, we read, For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. He says that Israel's restoration is the key to unlocking all the covenant promises for the church, including those the Gentiles share with Israel. And the key to unlocking Israel's restoration is the believing remnant of Israel who is presently in Christ. If the Jewish remnant in Christ is holy, and the foundation of the church is holy, that being the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with Christ connecting all the branches, then so are the branches holy, meaning sanctified, including unsaved Israel. And Paul used the analogy of a cultivated olive tree, saying in Romans 11, even so then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. This remnant that God has preserved sanctifies all the branches so that Christ would redeem the entire olive tree and restore his kingdom in the fullness of time. We continue reading in Romans 11, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So therefore, it appears that neither classical nor progressive dispensationalism fully aligns with Scripture. One sees no restoration of the kingdom before the second advent, keeping Israel and the church as entirely separate and distinct people groups. And the other sees a partial fulfillment of the covenant promises for historic Israel through the church, which is primarily Gentile, suggesting that the church has somehow replaced Israel. So there's only one logical and biblically accurate explanation. And that is that Israel's salvation is predicated on a remnant of the Jewish people whom God has sovereignly redeemed and made holy to sanctify and set apart unsaved Israel for her final restoration, ultimately for God's glory. 
And we see an overlap or concurrent partial fulfillment of God's redemption and restoration of Israel beginning at the first advent. In other words, God never ended his plans for Israel, nor did he cease to work toward her final restoration. As we read in Psalm 121, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall never slumber nor sleep. The disciples and early apostles were all Jewish, and God's covenant promises for historic Israel can only be presently and partially fulfilled through the remnant of Israelites that have come to faith in Christ. The Gentiles who are grafted into the cultivated olive tree, they do share in God's covenant promises, but they cannot fulfill Israel's covenant promises without their saved remnant. And so therefore, we read in Revelation 21, Then one of the seven angels showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So in returning to our opening questions, when do God's times of restoration begin? And has the kingdom arrived as some scholars claim? Of course, Christ has not returned yet to establish his kingdom. But if the latter days in Isaiah refers to a season of restoration leading up to the second advent, then I believe a remnant of the Jewish believers with their Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ will reestablish the church like it was in the first century. And a remnant of the nations will go up to Jerusalem to learn God's law and walk in his paths even before Christ returns. Even though Christ has not yet come, his kingdom, to a degree, will be revealed to the nations through his church. And not a church that replaces or rejects Israel, but one that embraces and joins in God's prophetic and redemptive plans for her. When Yeshua came, he declared that the kingdom of God was at hand, meaning it had arrived. Yes, the kingdom now presently dwells inwardly within the heart of every believer. And the kingdom has also come outwardly as Christ's church, his ecclesia, and the family of God. But the kingdom cannot be fully realized until all unsaved Israel repents and returns to the Lord. And we know that that time will not happen until Christ returns, and every eye sees him coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And yet, even at this present time, God has preserved for himself a remnant of Israel according to grace. And this remnant will keep all the branches holy so that in the fullness of time, God will restore the unsaved branches of Israel and thereby establish his eternal kingdom through her. Again, the church has not replaced Israel, nor is she to establish a political, spiritual, earthly kingdom that mistakenly unites with Israel's or the world's secular governments. No, the church has been called out of this world from every tongue, tribe, nation, and people and she has been made holy, sanctified, and set apart for God's glory and his kingdom. I'm also not suggesting that the nations begin to follow specific laws given to Israel, such as circumcision. But concerning the Sabbath and God's holy convocations, the church will join Israel in celebrating these festivals for eternity. Just as we read in Zechariah 14, 
And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In the fullness of time, when the full number of the Gentiles is complete, and when the gospel has been preached in every nation, the end will come, and Christ will return and redeem the entire remnant of unsaved Israel and the Gentiles that survived the tribulation. As we read in Micah chapter 4, In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcast and those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now, even forever. Amen. If you have enjoyed this teaching from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.